0: Way back in 2005, two brothers set off on a road trip that would save the world and change television. Ernie and Bert? No. For 15 seasons and 327 episodes, Supernatural took audiences on a wild ride of family, fate, and faith with a rocking soundtrack and a seriously cool car.
1: But that was then, Bobo, and this is now. And yes... The show has quote-unquote ended, but we're not quite done with the journey.
0: No, we're not.
1: And that's why we're watching it all over again, or for Rob and me, for the first time, diving deep into every episode of Supernatural with the fine folks who made it. And we're taking you along for the ride. Whether
0: you like it or not. I'm Rob Benedict. I played Chuck Shirley, a.k.a. God. Uh, spoiler! Yeah, it is a bit of a spoiler, but hey, spoilers are fair game here.
1: I'm ah, fine. And I'm Richard Spate Jr., and I played the Trickster, also known as the Archangel Gabriel. And I did a little bit of Loki work in there.
0: Okay, you know we're running out of time.
1: Okay, well, we'll be talking about the entire series, so whatever we say, accept it. You've been warned. So buckle up and settle in. Because this, my friend, is Supernatural, then and now.
0: Hey, it's Rob Benedict. And it's Richard Spate, And we're here to talk about episode 104, Phantom Traveler.
1: Phantom Traveler, the first episode of Supernatural directed by executive producer extraordinaire Robert Singer.
0: And we're, uh, we got, we're so lucky to have Bob and director of photography, Serge.
1: Give it to me. Say it. La Deceur. There you go. Robbie, that was great. You said it beautifully, unlike when you say it to Serge's face later in the interview. Oh, well.
0: Well, it's a good thing we were recording. Uh, So in this episode, I hope you watched already, because there's a lot going on. It's a big episode. Oh, yeah. The body of a nervous flyer on United Britannia Flight 401 is taken over by an evil black cloud. Are
1: there any nice black clouds? I dare say no. None
0: that I know of. Right. All all the ones that I've met have been downright rude. Or real jerks. And the man possessed by the evil cloud causes the plane to crash 40 minutes into the flight. Uh, Jerry Panowski, who Dean and John helped with a poltergeist situation previously, calls Dean for help because he's suspicious about the crash, which only had seven survivors. Ooh. (laughs) After investigating and pretending to be Homeland Security agents— Liars. And and in suits for the first time. Creepy. Sam and Dean Dean discover it was one man who pulled open the emergency door and caused the crash, and worse— A strange voice on the flight recording declared, no survivors.
1: Also, kept saying Paul is dead.
0: Uh, Not true. After the pilot of the plane dies in another crash, people dying in crashes all over the place, the boys and Jerry discover sulfur on both planes, which can only indicate that these crashes were caused by demons. Demon with no sense of smell. That's right. They also find out that one survivor, flight attendant Amanda Walker, is set for her first flight that night. The boys rush to get on that flight, much to the horror of Dean, who we find out hates flying.
1: Really hates it.
0: And also, first foray into a little bit of humor in the show. It's pretty funny. Uh With the help from Amanda, the Winchesters manage to locate and exorcise the demon. I
1: don't mean... One two three, aerobics class. Let's sweat it out, kids. No, no. <laughs> I'm talking about like get out of here, demon. Be gone.
0: That's right. And thank you for clarifying. Uh-huh. Uh But not before it nearly crashes the plane, traumatizes Dean, and mentions that it knows what happened to Sam's girlfriend, Jessica. Ah,
1: oh, creepy know-it-all,
0: know-it-all demon. <laughs> creepy know-it-all demon. So as we mentioned, we get to talk to Serge, the DP. And uh, once again, to Bob Singer. Who DP
1: standing for Director of Photography. That's true. For the kids at home trying to figure out what happens on a set. Well, you're just going to learn a ton in this episode because Serge is the man who's in charge of the look of the show. Mm-hmm. How it's shot, how it's lit. Mm-hmm. It's great.
0: Yeah, and we get to see what, what a great couple Serge and Bob are. What a great team they, they made from the beginning.
1: They're the captain and Tennille of television directing and cinematography. They're
0: the Robin Rich.
1: They really are. Uh, Bob Singer, by the way, directed more episodes of Supernatural than anybody else. This is his first episode he directed. He directed a total of 48. That's a lot.
0: And we're going to get to talk about that and the difference between the first one he directed and the last one he directed. And uh, we're going to hear from uh, Jensen about a funny story that happened between the two of them. Exactly. All right. Without further ado, let's get into it. Rich, we got a real treat for this episode. Cupcakes? Cupcakes. Yes, and also Donuts. Oh, wow. It's do- mini, mini donuts. Yeah, that's right. But we've also got the executive producer of Supernatural and the DP of Supernatural, two of the, the longest standing members of the production. Lions of the show. Without whom there would be no show. Showless. We've got Robert Singer and Serge Lac de Cour on our show. Hello, gentlemen. How are you?
2: La douceur.
0: Yes. La douceur. <laughs> I was going to see, like. He, he wrote me a note saying you pronounce it la de coeur, and I was like, that doesn't seem right. La douceur.
1: You know what? I, I had That's a. Right. I, right out of the gate, I'm going to say a funny Serge story, who, by the way, one of my favorite people on the planet, Serge. I mean, you're so talented and such a lovely human being. And as Americans, or the other Canadians who don't speak French, but for, as Americans, Rob and I know very little French. You are a French speaking gentleman. And at oh, some yeah. point, somebody was like, wow, it's uh, brutal to listen to Rich. I was trying to speak French. Like, it's brutal to listen to Rich or any American who doesn't know French try to speak French, which is a major uh-huh. language in Canada. And, and you said, yeah, welcome to my world. Uh, everybody says my name like it's a power source. Like, it's, it's not supposed to be Serge. It's Serge. <laughs> <laughs> done, done properly it's very elegant. Said by me, it sounds like
0: Surge. I realize this now as I was saying your name, I don't think I've ever said your last name out loud. So now now I know 15 15 (laughs) years in, I know how to pronounce your last name. Well, thank you so much for being here, guys. Talk about Phantom Traveler, the fourth episode that aired and the first directed by Bob Singer.
1: Right. But before we even get into that, I think we got to talk about...
0: I think we do. Get the Serge origin The the Serge of it all. Yeah.
1: Serge. Yes. How did you get involved in the show? Walk us through the entire process that brought you into Supernatural.
2: Well, I had an um, an agent in Los Angeles around 2005. I asked my agent to find me something outside Montreal because it was a bit slow here at the time. So uh, he said, okay, so I'm going to be looking for you. And then he came back a few days later, maybe a week later with... uh, an idea of pitching me on, uh, for Supernatural, a show that was about to start in a few a few months. Uh, and I said, yeah, sure, uh, I'd love to say, okay. So they are, they might be interested, but they're gonna send you the uh, pilot and then have a look and then we'll, uh, we'll look at it. So um, I uh, watched it and I f- fell in love with the show. And I said, yes, you know, I'm totally interested in doing, in doing this, this show. And so they would like to talk to you. Then I said, "Okay, I'll do better." So I'm gonna go to Los Angeles and uh, and meet them in person. Otherwise, it would have been done through the, the phone or something like that. I said, "No, I want to meet uh, everybody." So I uh, went to LA on uh, June 2005, and I met on a Sunday morning. There was uh, Bob was there, Eric was Eric Kripke was there, Cyrus Yafne was there, and Peter Johnson. So they were four of them. So we started discussing about the uh, show, what they were thinking I was adding my input. I felt good about what had been discussed and everything. I said, okay, so we're going to think about it and uh, let you know. So the next day I was due to go back to Montreal. In the morning, my agent called me and said, you got it. You got the show. They're interested in having you. So Uh we're going to work the deal. So that's how... Bob. Uh, it works. So Bob can add to uh, to it if you if he wants
0: to. Bob, are you were you involved in that process of picking Serge?
2: I was. He was the one. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: think I was Serge's um, best supporter. The idea of getting somebody from Montreal to come to Vancouver sounded odd to some people. But I really, um, I fell in love with Serge's reel and I saw that the, he had stuff on his reel that was also um, visual effects. And um, as you guys know, when you meet Serge, he's just totally charming, totally buttoned up for the interview. And I just said, um, this is the guy. And then, you know, of course we got the, really? Do we need somebody from Montreal to come to Vancouver? And you know, I said, no, 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 this is the guy, trust me. This is, I, I'm good in this area, uh, trust yeah. me on this. And they said, all right, if that's what you want, you know, okay, we'll see. And um, 15 years later, we saw.
0: I was going to say how right you were. I right. mean, really helped guide the show. The look of the show is so important. You know, and also, Serge, you know, now when we work on shows, usually there are two DPs that alternate. Back then, they didn't do it as much, but it was done.
1: I, I don't know. I don't. I don't recall it being a thing back then.
0: Was that w- was that a, always a thing, Serge? Where you had two. Yeah, I, th- I
2: I can't remember exactly, but I think there were some show that they were alternating. Yeah. But uh, at some point, Bob uh, offered. I can't remember exactly. It was season three or four, he said, do you want to alternate with somebody? And then I think at that point, we had designed a way to do things with my gaffer, with the key grip and everything. So I think it was, a, it was fluent and it was a very smooth running machine. Yeah. I felt like I was, I was okay. Right now, if you were to ask me if I would uh, alternate with, uh, with somebody for a project, I would say yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a lot of work.
1: So you're talking about not wanting, at this point in your career, you would split duties, but at the time, it wasn't done. It was also, I mean, was Supernatural for you a big opportunity? Walk me through what you have been doing previously. Have you been doing series work, movies, what?
2: Well, previously, I wasn't into uh, TV series, you know? I was into movies of the, movies of the week. I was into miniseries, features, independent features around Montreal and for the American uh, the market also. I've been working for Showtime, for uh, ABC Family and uh, USA Network and projects like that, you know? Right. Like for instance, Armistead Muppets, More Tales and Further Tales of the City. That was a kind of oh, a cool. project I was yeah. doing at the time. So TV series, the, my agent Tony said, why don't you we get, we have a look into TV series? I said, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm wide open. Right. And so that's how it happened. And so my projects yes at the time were more in uh, English speaking. And uh, I've been doing a, a bit of a French speaking project here in uh, around Montreal, but not as much.
1: Gotcha, and here's a question. So you, you get this job, you're super stoked, you're relocating from Montreal to Vancouver. And by the way, I've got to say in our previous episode, just to know how beloved you are by Bob Singer, he had said that one of his greatest contributions to the show was securing you as the director of photography. He, he considers wow. that <laughs> one, one of his biggest moments, and he's and he's right because the show looks unlike anything on TV back
0: then
2: and now. Thank you. I'm, 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 I, again, I'm touched to hear all that. Yes. <laughs>
0: the show holds up. You, you go back and look at it. You know, I was on a show right before this called Felicity. And that's now on like Hulu, and you watch it, and it, it looks like an old show. You're watching a show that was shot 20 years ago. And it's a good looking show, but it, it looks like it looks old. You look at Supernatural, and it could have been shot this year. And, and I know it was shot on film at the beginning, but it's still, it really, the effects and everything else, it really holds up.
2: Yeah, for sure. I agree. I agree. I've been re watching uh, Phantom Traveler, and uh, especially with the look of the first season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's holding up. So,
1: Serge. You get this gig, you relocate to Vancouver. Now, you've been working in Montreal and probably other places too, but your home base is Montreal. So you've got your team, probably. You probably have a roster of people you've been working with. But now here you are moving across the country, the other side of Canada. How did you go about finding the team? Because this is sort of a big question. Because director of photography to the rank-and-file film buff may not be a clearly defined job. They may not know really what that entails. So start by walking us through what it means to be a director of photography, and then continue on into how did you build the team that enabled you to do the job you wanted to do on this show?
2: Well, first of all, I mean, being a director of photography, it's to uh, implement the look that the uh, director has in his mind to make it concrete, put it on, on the screen is right arm or left arm, if I may say. Right, sure. To create the uh, crew, I mean, the importance of a, a good crew is one of the first most important things when you uh, do a project. But then I, was, I, I got in, the, in Vancouver and then I didn't know much people. Right. I knew a few people because before that in the uh, 90s, I had gone to Vancouver to enroll in the local union And I remember at that point, at one time, I met with a guy. His name was uh, Harvey Fedor. We had a a coffee together, and that was like 93 or something like that. Wow. And then when I started crewing for Supernatural, I had his name. I was offered a bunch of uh, people, a bunch of names, you know, to meet in order to crew the uh, people. And then Harvey was there. So that was one of the first guys I said, so, okay, so we're going to go with, uh, with him if he's, uh, if he's willing. And gu- and, and Harvey
1: came in as your gaffer? Key grip. Right. And explain, just take it step by step, explain that job to people.
2: Well, uh, key grip is all the aspect of, uh, you know, when you set the light, so you need to cut the light, you need to diffuse the light, you need uh, to push the dolly. Dolly is a grip department. Right. So all the car movements, all the that surround the light, that uh, give a, uh, quality to the light, you know, diffusion and everything. So that's grip. Gaffer, the gaffer will set up the lighting setup, will get the light in place. They work all together. But the main thing that the grip will do is to secure everything. If we need to cover things, they will be there. So the long dolly tracks, the cranes uh, and everything. So that's all the, the camera movements. It's because of the, uh, of the grips. Gotcha, awesome.
3: If I could interject for uh, just a second, when I first started in the business as a a PA and wanted to know what everybody doing, knowing nothing, I went to the Key Grip and I said, what what, what do you guys do? And he pointed to the gaffer, who was the head electrician, and he goes, he creates light, I take light away. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Uh, And a lot of people, too, assume also that the director
0: of photography is shooting the show, but you... You actually have other cameramen that are working the cameras and you're sort of guiding them, you're directing them.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I create the light and I have uh, camera operators that work in my department. Mm -hmm. At the time we were doing Phantom Travelers, the uh, A camera operator was uh, Jim Wallace, who uh, stayed on the show for a few months and then he was replaced by uh, Brad Creaser that we all know. Mm -hmm. right? And Brad stayed the whole course after that. But they're essential. I mean, this is the... uh, as important as the director of photography is, as the importance of the good camera operator is as important because he will transfer again the idea of the the director into motion. I mean, I transfer the idea of the director into into light and mood, and the operator will transfer the uh, the intention into movement and in relation with, with everybody else. So I can direct the camera operator but I'd rather have the director talking directly to the operator. I mean, it's it's a little different sometimes. If you uh, that conception, it's uh, more British than American. Mm. You know,
1: really. So wait the the British the British order would be the director doesn't talk to the operator. Like the director to- just deals with the DP.
2: No, the director will talk more to the camera operator directly, as opposed to in America, you would have the. Director will talk to the DP, we then will talk to the uh, operator. Yeah,
1: that's definitely not... so. You the rough, vibe you Roughly, had, you know. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. definitely had the vibe on Supernatural of the director being more involved with operators and you, not just you, which I personally like, because you feel like you're speaking directly to the people doing the work.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Exactly, yeah. No, the more direct the information is, the, I think it's better for everybody. So
0: mm-hmm. Agreed. I, I found it was nice on that show, too, that the camera operator would talk to the actor, too, sometimes. Like, hey, I'm this is your shot, or this is, you know, because as an actor, sometimes you have no idea what, what they're even shooting, you know.
1: And they're so close to the actor. I mean, yeah. like, you, we, we, we discount that the, that the operator is sort of just impartially filming things. Well, the right. truth of the matter is, the camera could be six inches from an actor's face, which means the operator's eight inches from the actor's face. You know what I mean? Like, the operator's right there for the whole thing. It's very much part of the, another character of the show, so yeah. to speak.
0: Just hold that thought. We're coming right back.
1: Thanks for supporting Supernatural then and now. And speaking of now, let's go back to the show.
0: All right, let's let's get into this episode Phantom Traveler. So, episode go, 104, Robert. That's right, sir. We start with a fake out of a tropical beach that we soon realize is just a backdrop, and it's attention-grabbing because the show, uh, at least in season 1 is is very dark. The look and tone of the show is very shadow-heavy, dark and kind of noir. Whose idea was that? And and I guess the follow up is, how did you shoot that? Were there early discussions with Eric, like him saying, hey, I'd, I'd like I'd like the tone to be like this or, you know, Bob and Serge, were you like, hey, I think it should be this way or
3: <laughs> the uh, starting with the uh, with the beach? That was just a piece of set dressing that um, Jerry Wannick had. Put on for this. Um, we're shooting, I think, in the the airline terminal, and I I saw this thing. hadn't planned on it, and I go, oh, well, that's a bit of a fake out.
0: Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. Start Great. with
3: that, and then we'll pull back, and we'll realize that we're in this uh, airline terminal. So that was that falls under the category of what I like, which are happy accidents. Yeah, right.
0: yeah, right. There you go.
1: Mm-hmm. But to Rob's question. There's an overall look to supernatural and, and we'll get into the nuanced conversation of film versus digital in a little bit. But at this point you're shooting on film. The aspect ratio of the show, you guys were never a four by three show. You were you were always widescreen show. Yes. Which really helped preserve the show. Right. Like it shows that are four by three, which is the old TV mm-hmm. for people who don't know the aspect ratio of an old mm-hmm. square television. That, nothing dates a show like that.
0: And that's what I'm saying about Felicity. Yeah. Felicity, when you go back and watch it, it's still like four that. Four by three. Four yeah. By three,
2: yeah. When we were doing this uh, at the beginning, the, uh, we were shooting 16 by 9, which is the, the format uh, that's on TV now. But we were told to preserve the 4-3, the, sure. uh, the standard format. So that was very, very clear. And then a few years on, it's kind of uh, receded in the, in the background, but... Uh, We were always told to protect for the hatred. It became a little less intense as the years uh, went by.
1: Okay, so to follow up on that technical question, you're shooting 16 by 9 for people at home. That's your TV now. It's a widescreen TV. looks like a movie screen. The old TVs were square. (laughs) Kids at home, go Google a TV set from the the 80s. (laughs) You'll see what I'm talking about. It's a square. Mm -hmm. And so when you're told to preserve four by three. Essentially, they're saying, keep all the action in the middle. (laughs) So if we have to cut out the sides, Mm -hmm. we're not losing story, essentially,
2: right? Exactly. Exactly. So I have the story happen in the four tree. I mean, extend the the frame to 16 by now as much as you want, but keep the story, the importance of the story in the four, in the square that's going to be, you know, broadcast. Right. uh, You know, uh, you know, the standard TVs.
0: And so were there discussions at this point about finding a look for the show?
2: Well, there was the first discussion uh, we uh, I had with uh, Eric and Bob um, at the time was that Eric wanted to, and I I was totally in agreement with uh, with that that it should look like it's happening in real life that the supernatural is not something that's happening like like that. So I went with that and. Uh, I started experimenting with the look and with the timer in Los Angeles, Stephen Arkell, whom we uh, started to call to uh, call uh, Sparkle. We uh, designed that look, which is uh, heavy on the contrast, lots of black. So, and I think for some of the directors, it was important that there were some shadows, shadows in the face and everything. So I went with a look that was kind of popular around the year 2000s. It's called a bleach bypass look. It's a photochemical look that's done in the lab, but you can emulate it in the uh, video transfer. So you retain a lot of black and then you highlight the whites. And so it creates the look. So looking back at Trenton Traveler, I think there is a lot of that in that film. So for instance, the uh, flight attendant, sometimes she's half light and uh, and a lot of the episode is like that too. I think it works for the... Uh, for that show and it works for the first, the first season was all according to this look.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: So here's a question, a nerd color question. Back then, were you baking color onto a negative or was the color correction still done in like a digital format?
2: So we were exposing film. Right. And it was from the negative, it was transferred to digital in the digital format. So we were always preserving all all the range in the transfer to be able to play with the look afterwards. Gotcha. That's awesome.
0: So, Bob, this is your first time directing the episode. You had said in the last episode that that kind of happened as a last-minute thing because someone had dropped out because you were going to not direct this soon. But there you were, and it's a pretty challenging episode, I imagine, with all the— I'm always told, like, shooting in an airport is difficult. Was that—where did you do that stuff?
3: That was the easy part. Actually, shooting in in the airport, uh, there's a section of the Vancouver airport that uh, has um, places where you would check in and, right. and all that. But they don't they didn't really use it much. So we just took that section and shot the airport stuff there. The challenging part was sh- shooting in a real plane. Right, right, right.
1: Totally. Okay, so <laughs> and the effects so, about the door flying off was that a real? Pl- so it wasn't a plane set.
3: Well there there's three things there was the visual effects plane then there was all the dialogue when like when Jensen's walking up and down the aisle going Cristo Cristo right. And, uh, right. All, all that was shot in a in a real plane very tight quarters wow oh my god jeez then for the fight at the end uh, we we had Jerry uh, Jerry Wanick had built the uh, galley portion where the fight happens You know, the exteriors of the plane flying and all that, that was all visual effects and and quite well done, I thought, especially that early in the show. Yeah, incredibly. To shoot in the actual plane, which I can't imagine how many lights he used, but basically Serge had had lit the entire plane from from the outside. And this took a considerable amount of time. (laughs) I can remember saying to the AD, you're going to fire me. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is going to be 12 days. I mean, we're never, no get, we're never going to get out of here. But what Serge did was basically once he had all the lights in place, shooting, lighting through the exterior of the plane, lighting through the windows, then the shooting actually went quite quickly because it was pretty much lit. Correct me if I'm wrong, Serge, but we were basically lit once you finished all that.
2: Basically, yes. But that what you're referring to is the uh, for the day scenes. Yes. Uh, because one of the, the major scene when they go back to the plane, there was no exterior light at that point. It was mainly from inside. So I used all the little lights that were built into the, the, the set, wow. all the, the lights on top as well. So that was challenging, but it was very fun to do. And we could move actually pretty fast, yes.
0: And then is it basically like poor man's process for a plane? I mean, did you have to sort of fake...
3: When is the, the camera tipping? moving or is the
1: plane moving, yeah. I guess is the question. Like when they're
3: diving at the end. That's, that's the camera. That's the camera, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, now that's... in a big movie, they would probably put it on a gimbal, and that would be, but we, we didn't have that kind of money or times. So. Right. <laughs> right,
2: right. Wow. Well, the the moment we'll do, we're done with the operators and hanging into the camera. I can't remember, I was watching the episode a couple of times, and I can't, maybe Bob, you would remember, I can't remember if we used some... Uh, camera shaker because there's a device that was coming from at the time Clermont camera they were they invented that a camera shaker so you t- you put that in front of the lens and it gives the impression of uh, everything is shaking but it might have been done also with just the operator you know shaking the the camera hmm.
3: Yeah, I don't think we used a. And Rich, you would remember this on on Sam Circus. We had the Image Shaker for those battle scenes. Oh, to give it a newsreel kind of a effect. We didn't do that on uh, this. Was all operator driven on Phantom Travel, which
1: is interesting because it had to make for a bear of a reset. Because when you're doing the crash, you basically have all these background actors. You have a full plane of people going nuts. Yeah. So you're like cut back to one. It's yeah. like gather up your papers and get your handbag yeah. from across the plane because yeah. it looked like a co- you know <laughs> chaos.
3: Well, what became legend, and then they uh, for 15 years this became legend. For that, in addition to the operator doing what the operator was doing, we had a big fan on the uh, on the plane to blow papers and cups and things to create this idea. And the the shot took a long time to set up. And I'm sitting at a monitor, which is quite a ways away from the plane. (laughs) And we do a take. And I slowly get out of my chair, walk slowly (laughs) to the plane, walk up the steps of the plane. And my line was, it was just white paper. They, you know, it should have been newspapers. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, but it was like sheaths of just (laughs) white paper. (laughs) And I was, so, I don't oh my God, I'm going to die on this. <laughs> this will <is, laughs> be the hill I die on. Anyway, so we got some newspapers and cubs and things right, and right. another take. And it was all right, but I was, it was either a choice of slowly walking up the steps of the plane or walking outside and killing myself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when you were walking slowly was the inner monologue... I'm going to tear somebody a new one, or how do I un-F this? Or what, what, were you, what were you thinking on that slow walk? I,
3: I, I, what, what I was thinking was, don't lose your temper because that <laughs> doesn't ever serve a purpose. <laughs> and all I remember seeing when I was looking at it on the monitor was, was, it's just white paper. And that was the first line that came out of my mouth when I got <laughs> on the plane was, it was just white paper. Do we have any newspaper? Do we have paper cups? Do we, you were
1: know? going to have to, like, add a shot where you established, like, a paper salesman in yeah, the first exactly. row. Or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or a, pr- a printer in the back yeah, room.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you, you did survive, Bob. Um. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. Well,
0: and then some. So you, you directed uh, 48 episodes over 15 years.
1: The most of anybody. Yeah.
0: How, what what I guess I should say, what didn't change? What were the constants what, between your first episode and your last episode, besides Serge, who was a constant? Serge, Serge
3: was a constant. God bless him. Um, what about visual effects? That was a different beast, wasn't it? God, I don't know how many years Mark was there doing that. It was, it was a lot. And Mark was terrific. And, and the great thing about Mark is there was no drama with Mark. You know, this is what we need. This is what it's going to, right? And Mark would shake his head yes, 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 yes. And, and he would pull it off.
1: I think it's one of the things that's really unique about Supernatural that's worth noting is Supernatural, as far as I know, I don't know of any other show that has this, had its own dedicated visual effects department. Because, you know, you guys weren't p- calling from Warner Brothers in LA, they were next door.
3: That was always, you know, because there were fixes that the visual effects department would have to do, it, it, you know, it was a constant thing. When he worked for the visual effects house, I was constantly making calls and saying, we need this, we need that, can you give me the brother-in-law prices, it was expensive and, you know, and they were great. But still, when you go through a, an effects house, it, it's it was just better when we decided to do it in house, do it all in house, which I had to convince the studio that it was worthwhile to buy all this equipment and, and do it in house. And I said, look, in the first year, we'll break even. It'll be about the same as we're paying the effects house now. So we'll break even on that. But in subsequent years, we will save money every year doing it in house because you didn't get charged by the shot. We own these guys. You know, there was shows that were heavy effects episodes in which we had to pay more overtime and things like that. But generally then we controlled it and we owned the guys. And it wasn't, you you never had a thing where you say, well, the effects house is really busy. It was a great idea. And why other shows didn't do it is beyond me. yeah, it just makes so much sense.
2: And what season did that happen? I think I think right away at season in season two we uh, they started, if I'm not mistaken. That was a great decision because we could be on set and something. Let's say we're doing a shot and we realize that it would involve some some visual effect, something that may not have been foreseen. But because we had the uh, visual effect department just next door, so we could just call them in and then they say so can you do something for that shop and Mark will say sure why not so we can do it so otherwise it would have taken uh so much time you know have the uh, budget done and, uh, and approve and everything so
1: I can, I can tell you it's uh as a guy who learned to direct on Supernatural and then went elsewhere it was a rude awakening to go somewhere else you know all i knew was supernatural like i will do this visual effect we'll do that on the day you switch it up boy that is not how it works at other places man you know you are allotted you'll get three shots which shots you want to be visual effects if you add another i mean the team gets together in a conference room and discusses it it's a very different process than what you guys established so much smarter for the type of show supernatural was to have that creative freedom
0: uh, Serge, what's your as a, as DP? What's your relationship with the visual effects department like? For instance, in this episode, you've got the the demon that likes to appear smoking out of the uh, air vents, and so you have that black visual effect of the sort of black smoke. What's your relationship like with that visual effects department in terms of maintaining the look of your shot? You know what I mean. You don't you don't want to mess it up.
1: Yeah, and I guess it's a three way question, right? Because Bob's directing this, so it's like right. how do the three of you triangulate? especially in the early days, to make sure that that's all working the way you want it
2: to work? Well, in the early days, there was a bit more restriction when we were going to do a visual effect. It got smoother and easier as a year passed because we could, you know, move the camera a little bit. If there was a movement involved, it was to be, you know, very stable and everything. And then it started to be much easier as the technology was evolving. But there was always a representative of the visual effect department on the set, so we were always working hand in hand to make sure that the goal was, uh, was achieved. So we were supervising each other, so to make sure that I was doing the right thing and he was comprehending the, the, right. exactly what the, the director wanted to do.
1: So Bob, for this episode, did the visual effects have to be lock-offs? Explain what that means. Oh, lock off, meaning you can't move the camera. So the camera was in a stationary position allowing the visual effects team to do their magic. Is that what was necessary back then?
3: In this case, mostly we did that. As the years went on and the technology got better, but also the fact that over time, we we learned as we went. And so a visual effects shot in season seven was probably would go quicker and would be easier for us to do because we had done something similar before and people were trained in, in how to get the effect that we were looking for. So there was less trial and error going on. And again, with Mark, because he was, you know, such an easygoing guy, as a director, you would always kind of dread getting the answer to the question of can, can I pan? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> can I dolly? Yeah. You know, can I move? You, you'd, yeah. You'd like, you'd like to give these shots, you know, a, a dynamic uh, an feel action, to them. Yeah. and we got there, you know, and you know, you always have some restriction, but you could make it work a lot better than than a lock off. Yeah.
0: So this is in this episode, we've got a demon, and it's kind of the sort of the first time we've got a demon presence. And this is, as far as the audience knows, this is the first time, first time we see a demon on the show, and it establishes a lot about how demons work and how to identify them and expel them. I like how they target vulnerable people. But almost none of that makes it into the demon lore that get established later in the show, like the Cristo thing that was new in this episode. And I guess that didn't didn't. come back until until later. So the question is, how did you balance the lore and the story and what kind of plans did you have for the demons early on? You talked a little bit about that before, like there were some episodes, you know, where you, you specifically addressed the lore. And other... Yeah, there are
1: rules involved. You get right. to the, you establish the lore early in the show and then sort of try to adhere to those rules.
0: Like in this, the demon mentions Jessica's death, you know, so that's sort of a hint to the lore, but some things changed. So I guess were there discussions about, okay, ooh, this is a demon,
3: so we need to treat it this way? Yeah, I mean, we did that, but he was, Eric was the final word on, on this stuff. <laughs> of what we could do and what we couldn't do. I think over time, the lore became a little more um, flexible. (laughs) Right, 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 Um, right, right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. When we're doing this, it was, you know, so early on, we're actually sort of establishing the lore. Right, exactly, yeah. At this point. Right. One thing I I think about Phantom Traveler was that I think it was the first time we let the guys be funny. Yeah. Ah, and saw that... You can take a serious story with some real scares in it, and lighten it up between the guys, which I think was really integral to their relationship over the next fifteen years. Yes, I remember David Nutter called me up after it aired, and he said, "I think this show turned a corner last night." I thanked him, and you know, coming from Nutter, that was high compliment indeed. But I think what he meant is that we could explore the guy's characters a little more, that, that this kind of the, that stoicism and seriousness that had preceded, you know, in the pilot and that they could be looser. They right. They have their their moments. And I think that really served as well over the course of, of the series. It also was that kind of stuff was sort of in my wheelhouse. I felt comfortable doing
0: it. Yeah. Right. Well, and you know, Bob, I, I noticed it's a very subtle thing, but knowing the guys and knowing you, I almost felt like I could see... The Jensen especially has some really funny stuff in this, and I felt like it was you that helped bring that out. He felt, he seemed comfortable in that. Sort of
1: the the origin story of the Jared Jensen Babo uh, power <laughs> yeah, triangle. Yeah,
0: you kind <laughs> of you, you could. I, to me, you could see that, you know. And there's certain directors you work with.
1: Well, interesting that you that bring, that bring that up that because you know we take it for granted that Jensen and Jared can do comedy and work it in the storyline organically and supernatural. But this was the first time that happened, and it's a bit of a roll of the dice, Bob, because there's a chance that these dudes would suck at comedy. Like, you don't, you know, you didn't cast them for their timing. You cast them for their acting and their chiseled good looks. So when you're going into this stuff to try the comedy, as the director, do you have a backup plan? You're like, well, I'm going to try this thing. It should be humorous, but if this kid shits the bed, I'm going to move on to something else. Like, because you don't know. You're Bob Singer. You've done, it's not your first rodeo, you know?
3: No, you know, I mean, if it didn't work, he would say, "Okay, well, let's do this a little more straight ahead and whatever. But uh, once they did it once, you went, oh, this this is gold. Yeah. great. You know, know, I mean, and the script allowed for that. The whole idea that Jensen, that the Dean character was afraid of flying. Great. You know, it's just such a natural setup for some comedy. You know, there's no getting around it. Yeah. You know, and they just pulled it off. And then we did episodes as a subsequent in which it was just all balls out comedy. And they guys are just great at it. And I think it loosened the setup. It loosened them up. It gave us the freedom to do more things.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, you think of it from an acting standpoint, they can now infuse the third dimension into their character. They might find a humor beat in a beat that wasn't necessarily scripted as funny, but they find a connection between the characters that is a light moment. You know, that all comes off as real is what that comes off as. You yeah,
3: know? no, absolutely. And it also not only freed them up, but it freed up the writers. I mean, as you guys know from the characters that, that you both played, that humor was an essential part to what you guys were doing. Right. Right. I mean Chuck took a dark 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 turn. <laughs> <Yeah>, pretty dark, <laughs> now. you know, but early Chuck was funny. really a fun character, yeah. you know, with a lot of humor and you guys pulled it off really well and 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 when we were casting stuff, that was a quality that we that we looked for. Right. I mean, Rich, I know you were funny because you were funny in Sam Circus when you weren't supposed to be. But... <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a World War II pilot. Mm-hmm. That's where I met Bob. That's Bob right. Directed and produced a pilot that we shot in England. Yeah, and like I said, I was uh, war as hell unless it's hilarious. Is sort of the, <laughs> the takeaway. But I think that's a connecting event for Bob and myself. I think it's two things. Number one, you mentioned Chuck taking a dark turn. And for those people who are listening to this podcast, stay with us. We'll get there in In 12 years. years. (laughs) So, So just put a pin in that thought, and we'll see you when we're 63. Jensen tells a story about this episode. So when we in our first couple of episodes, we had Jensen and Jared as our guests. And Jensen... Tells a story about this episode, working with you, Bob, about the moment he solidified his relationship with you.
4: Bob will tell you this story. I question its authenticity, but he came up to direct Phantom Traveler. And I don't remember this, but he says that, that he asked me to do something. He gave me some weird direction. And I went to him and I, and I said, have you done a lot of directing? Have you? <laughs> As like literally like challenging his authority and I'm like, I just don't remember doing that. Well, the internet was still young. Like IMDb didn't have all the information on right. everybody. Right. Yeah, so you, you, it was, you, you did, live, yeah. Right? I mean, he's like assumed that this is a producer slash who's coming up to direct. And so I just, new to us. I just viewed him as the producer. Like, oh, the executive producer is coming to direct. Like maybe he wants to get into direct to directing now.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And <laughs> I, I, I believe him. So it, it sounds like something a young, stupid Jensen would say. <laughs> yeah, but also you probably um, were saying it from a place of eagerness to learn about it, Right, right. like, hey, but I also, are. that was also the same episode where I learned something very new about Dean and it was how far oh, they man. were willing to let Dean go in the comedic field. Mm. And it was when, it was, Dean was afraid of flying and Dean gets on an airplane and it hits some turbulence and it's the first time that Dean like shrieks no. and gets really scared. That's and funny. I, and I remember like going, man, this just kind of goes against a lot of what I've been playing for the past several episodes. I should ask our, director producer director producer yeah. director <laughs> if this is what if this is too far and so i remember i went up to bob and i was like bob hey, i just is is that is that what you're looking for my is it too much is it too little like I, give me a little guidance here and bob in a very bob singer way just looks at me and goes you're not going to be one of those actors are you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and bob loved that uh, and, I,
1: holder, he nice. and i her he is not and i
4: immediately i immediately was like Nope. Got gotcha. you. We're good. Understood. That's it. Understood. Yeah. I understand our relationship. And it's been a, yeah, Bob, a fantastic relationship breaking, he moves forever. On, he has what he wants. Yeah. So he he like, he right. like reminded me of like an old baseball coach. He's like, if I'm not they yelling at them. you, then you're doing what I need you to Big do. <laughs> otherwise, I will yell at you. Yeah. Right. Otherwise, I'll yell at you.
1: Which, by the way, is not to say that you're not an actor's director, because to Rob's point, you're the you're exactly an actor's yeah. director. Like. You are that guy.
0: You. What's great about you, Bob, is that you create an atmosphere on set that makes it feel comfortable and comfortable to try things.
1: I guess there's just a trust level that if you've moved on, you've got what you need, and that's what you're assuming they know, right? I mean, is that, does that make sense?
3: Uh, yeah, that makes sense. And, and you know pretty early on when you're directing and you hope you've cast this in a way that the actors have have really good instincts and they're going to bring something to it so i you know i might shade something here there or you know just to give it a little something but working with good actors is such a joy i mean it really is because good actors can surprise you they'll do takes of lines that you didn't hear in your head that's better than what you heard in your head and so, giving actors kind of the leeway to to, to play around with that, it's always easier to um, take an actor back, I think, than to make them go bigger. So much is casting, mm-hmm. you know. If you if you have a good script and good actors, and you can just keep the camera on them, you, you're going to end up with an okay show, you know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We, you know, we all like to do interesting shots. But for me, and I always try to drill this into new directors, because, you know, I think the natural thing is, is that I want to wow people with how I can shoot. And I would say, listen, I'm all for good fancy shots, but first and foremost, tell the story. Mm -hmm. you got to tell the story. If the camera's in the wrong place, all that fancy shooting means nothing. Cast it right and let the actors do their thing, you know? I mean, without blowing smoke. Working with you guys is easy. It's just easy. You come in, you have a plan, you understand the characters. If I give you a suggestion, we could have a discussion about it. But I don't think, I don't think in 15 years of doing the show that I ever had a a real disagreement with an actor about Hmm. the take, what their take on the part was. Uh, Rob, you remember when we were doing the the thing in the bar with uh, Curtis. Yeah. And... Curtis got a little you know I, I wanted him to do one thing and he didn't want to do it and it was and that was the only time in 15 years where I think I had a just a little moment with with an actor Right it's funny. I was thinking about that the other day, and I was saying, I still think I was right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I'd forgotten because that's
0: one of my favorite it's Curtis Armstrong. Yeah, and one of my favorite acting experiences ever. Uh, this you'll you'll see this episode in season eleven, mm. but yeah, it's interesting. I'd forgotten about that. Doing that was like doing a play, it was yeah. like doing a a two hander. Well,
1: well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I always say like when I started directing, which was way later in the game in season eleven, I started directing. People ask me if I enjoy it. I say I got the best seat in the theater. Because wa- if you get good actors, you're watching a play. You're referring to a real two-person scene. But in general, what you're saying, Bob, is right. once Sarah steps away and we step away and we're, and we're just letting the actors do their thing and camera guys shoot it, it's a play. You're watching it play out in real time. And that's kind of magic about the whole process.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I always, always say, you know, you're the pitcher and the catcher at the same time, which is kind of a, huh. a good deal. I always wanted to be motivated. That whatever I'm doing with the camera or with the actor, whether the camera's moving or the actor's moving or both are moving, that it's motivated by the story. And that one thing with Curtis was is I wanted him to say a line away from Rob. And, and in my mind, what I had heard as I was doing my prep is that he's saying this line less to Rob and more reflectively. That's what I saw right? Curtis didn't see it that way. It played fine the other way. And 20 minutes after we finished the scene, Curtis came up to me and said, God, I was—I sh- I shouldn't have snapped like that. I go, it's fine, Curtis. It's all right. You know, we're, we're all here together and it's, you know, it's a creative process and you didn't feel comfortable. If you don't feel comfortable, then the performance isn't going to be as good. So, you know, it's a trade-off.
0: Yeah. There's a shot in this episode, I, real quick, I just I have personally wanted to ask. It's not even on our notes. But there's a shot of the plane wreckage in a huge hangar laid out in the shape of a plane. Where was that shot? And was that difficult to lay all that out? I mean, I, when I saw that shot, I was like, my God, this episode. It's massive. It's
2: massive. I had the same uh, impression when I, I rewatched the episode. So this, is, this was a huge set. Yeah. But I think it was so well placed and topped that it looked big without mm-hmm. being enormous.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we were, we were in an empty warehouse, and I got to tell you, Jerry Wanick, who I just think is a genius, who's our production designer, when I walked on set that day and saw the way he had laid out this, this wreckage, we always had a camera position up above where I could get wide and, and see the whole thing. One of the reasons we picked that location was to be able to do that shot. But when I saw what he had done, I was stunned. I mean, yeah. I said, this is like big time movie stuff. I mean, right? You know, again, you, when you get the combination of a great DP and a great art director, it's right there. Just shoot it. You know? I mean, it's, yeah.
1: yeah. Now you two, Bob, you obviously were around for all 15 seasons day one forward and Sarah's you the same. Bobby directed 48 episodes. There had to have been developed between the two of you a shorthand. I would assume. I'm saying that like I know. I don't know, but it's more of a question. Was there sort of a rhythm and a pattern that you two understood about each other so that, Sayers, when you knew it was a Bob Singer episode, you're like, ah, I know Bob's style. He's going to say, like, the crew used to joke that you could come in, Bob, raise an eyebrow, and people would start laying dolly track. Like, they just, <laughs> like, <laughs> you guys knew each other. Did you find that to be the case, Sayers, and did that develop over time, if so?
2: Totally, totally, I totally agree with what you're saying because at some point I could go to Bob, for instance, and, and know something wasn't exactly what you wanted. And I said, this is not what you would like. said, no. Okay. So let me, let me fix, uh, let me fix this. And then I knew before he said, before he told me. That's him. awesome. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. That's so rare, especially in TV. Mm-hmm. You don't get, usually don't get the, you don't have the benefit of time to develop that kind of rapport.
3: Yeah, that's true. Although I, I think, Serge and I uh, connected pretty quickly because this episode Fan Traveler was was not an easy episode and we kind of went through these wars together. By the end of that episode I had total faith in Serge that there's not an obstacle that you're going to throw at him that at the very least he will try to move heaven and earth to give you what you want. So This relationship happened really quickly. And as Serge knows, I I just love him to death. And, um, you know, there's nobody I would rather work with. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
0: That's awesome.
3: Yeah. It's a good marriage.
0: And you guys
1: were, I mean, you know, you were the backbone of the show for all the people that came and went for all the traveling directors and, and guest stars. It was, it was Jared Jensen and you two were were the, were the boots on the ground for all all the 15 seasons. Yeah.
0: One last technical question. There are a b- bunch of baby scenes in the episode where the boys are driving, and you use what's called a poor man's process to simulate lights on the road when the guys drive. Can you explain for the listeners the poor man's process, and was it more low-tech in season one than it was later to shoot the boys driving?
2: Well, a few reference to what uh, that little radio, the poor man process that we were doing on stage. So it's that you have the, the car sitting on the, on the stage. It doesn't move. It's the light around that move. And then we uh, perfectioned that technique as the years went by. We refined it to a point where I knew exactly the kind of shot that could be done and some shot that shouldn't be done because they were now not working. There's a little movie explaining that on the American Cinematographer magazine uh, yeah. website yeah. About, about that. So there's a little clip and it shows exactly the, uh, the way it's done.
0: Yeah, maybe we can, uh, we can post that on, 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 I don't know how to do that, but people can, can watch that. Uh, we'll
1: stir people to it, because that's an interview that you did, Serge. Great interview with, yeah. with
0: Serge, and, and good video of some of these things.
2: But It's so impressive. But you know, uh, these processes are done all the time in film. Some are done better than others, and I think we came up with something pretty interesting and in Supernatural to have always the feeling that the boys are on the, on the road. It became, you know, these shots, when you look through the season, they might look a little the same, but in a way there's something always different. So because of the scene first and because yeah. of, the, uh, of the action, it became kind of a confessional. You know, it's kind of a, in a space where things were said and right. uh, emotions were portrayed and it became more than just car going by in, in the night you know interesting yeah that's,
1: that's really cool yeah. that's, that's a that's a cool cinematic and thematic way of looking at it gentlemen we're going to have you back again for other episodes yeah. because there's 327 to talk about <laughs> but this has been a fantastic beginning to yeah. what's going to be a long long conversation um bob singer's first episode that he directed for supernatural and Serge, episode three of your director of photography. It's an honor to have you guys on the show. And again, I'll say, if you love Supernatural, it's because of Jared, because of Jensen, because of Serge,
0: and because of Bob. Uh, yeah. Thank you both so much. We love you lots. Thank, Thank you, guys. Miss Appreciate you. it.
2: Pleasure doing that today. Yes. Thank you.
1: For, and we'll have you back again, Mr. Laducer.
2: Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. <laughs> I hope you're
0: enjoying the episode, but we need to pull over for a second for some messages. Thanks for supporting Supernatural then and now. And now, back to the show. Well, that was fun. So great. A couple of legends just now we got to talk to.
1: It was, I mean, it was literally filmmaking 101. If you want to know how to make great television... You should be listening to this podcast, if for no other reason, to hear those two gentlemen discuss their work.
0: Yeah, and if you like Supernatural, it's because of those two.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's those guys, it's Kripke, and it's Jared and Jensen. But, yeah. like, they are a core part of the recipe that made this show ahead. Yeah.
0: So, in this episode, you know, it's funny, we're talking about the Impala, whether or not it teleports, because it feels like it really can, because they're, you know, they got a five-hour ride to the airport in the dark— and they make it there by 7.30 p.m.
1: I, You know, it, there are liberties taken. Sure.
0: <laughs> I also noticed that this is post 9-11. So getting to an airplane, buying a ticket, making it through TSA. That, that,
1: they really fly through yeah. the whole process.
0: <laughs> yeah. They, they go from not having tickets to being on the plane.
1: They also look incredibly well-rested for gentlemen who uh, drove five hours That's to get true. where they're going.
0: But damn it, they are so good-looking. Oh, man. Doesn't even matter. Antiques Road Trip. That shiny round thing. Ashtray? Not that one. But uh, the one they play the recording on is called a CD.
1: Oh, a certificate of deposit?
0: No. It was a little disc that played music, or in this case, the black box recording. Hmm. It used to be all the rage. That's cool. There's also in this, Dean uses uh, an old Walkman that he turns into an EMF machine.
1: That's cool. I think it's the, uh, the debut of the homemade EMF machine, right? EMF meter.
0: That's it. It is. It is. And it endures so long. It's one of the... The pieces of the Supernatural Monopoly game.
1: I didn't even know there was a Supernatural Monopoly game. Well, now
0: you do. Well, if you're a fan, then you've got one. Mm-hmm. Some other factoids. Christo is not actually the name of God in Latin. It's just not.
1: What is the name of God in Latin, Mr. Know-it-all?
0: Deus? I think you're right. and I think I am too. Uh, Christo... I don't know. I would say Christ, as in Jesus, but I don't know. Mm.
1: And by the way, do you know that this is the first time in this very episode that the name Winchester is said out loud or mentioned on the show?
0: Is that right? Yep. Oh, wow. Dean uses uh, aliases a lot. In this one, he says James Hetfield. Rich, tell me who that is. It's the front
1: man for Metallica. Wow,
0: what a great Hetfield impersonation.
3: Exercise.
0: Uh, which foreshadows him humming Metallica on the plane. Aye. It didn't sound like that, though. The prevalence of early reference to Metallica on the show is why many fans initially called Baby the Metallica. The
1: Metallica. I never, the Metallica.
0: I never heard that.
1: Neither did I.
0: It's very hard to see, but the names on Sam and Dean's badges are Jerry Wanick and Robert Singer.
1: Jerry Wanek was the production designer of Supernatural all 15 years, and Robert Singer, well, damn, you know who that is. That's, a uh, the executive producer. And if you listen
0: to this whole episode. If if you, you don't know, know
1: that we failed. To see
0: you then just... you then you fast forwarded. Yeah. Uh, it's not the last time they're going to use that name on the show. By the way, no, it is
1: not. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge.
0: All right, let's crack open Dad's journal and mm. talk about the uh, lore in this show. There's lots of uh, lore and references. First up, the title "Phantom Traveler." which is something Sam references directly when the boys are theorizing about the crash. There are hundreds of legends all over the world about ghosts and apparitions who appear on flights, trains, cars, other modes of transportation, only to disappear before the destination is reached.
1: I don't know if you know this, Robbie, but I'm not a great flyer.
0: I do know that, and I actually wrote a song about it. It could be about you and Dean now that I know that he's not a good flyer either.
1: Is the song called Quit Messing With My Headphones A-Face?
0: Yeah, Rich uh, is scared of flying and he likes to uh, t- take my headphones off and ask me what that, why the plane just shook. And it's really, really disturbing when I'm in the middle of a movie. It's, disturbing is not the right word. Annoying.
1: Well, don't make flights all about you and I won't have to take off your headphones.
0: Legends of this kind go back centuries with many phantom travelers showing up on trains in the 19th century. There's even been one-sided riding the Haunted Mansion ride in Disney World called The Man with the Cane.
1: Oh, I wonder how you know it's him. Oh, I guess the cane.
0: That's right. <laughs> um, also there was that, uh... What if it's cane? That's what it is. There's also that famous episode of the Twilight Zone, where there's the, the gremlin on the plane. On the wing of the plane. William Shatner. William Shatner. And in the movie version, John Lithgow. That's right. One bit of lore Sam cites is less accurate. The number 40 does appear a lot in the Bible, but it's more associated with trials and tribulations than with straight-up death. However, in China and Japan, the number four alone is considered very bad luck because the word four sounds familiar to the word for death, a variation on chi. There are a lot of superstitions in East Asia about the number four because of this. Hmm. Aren't you impressed that I know all this just off the top it's of my just, head? I mean, it just flows right out of you. I know. I'm very smart. Anything else in that noodle of yours? Well, Sam also talks about Japanese lore. He mentions demons causing disasters. And, and this is especially more accurate as the Japanese oni, a type of demon or yokai, are indeed said to bring disaster and calamity with them. Interestingly, in some legends, Oni are human spirits who become demons, which is how demons are created in Supernatural as revealed in Season 3. Mm. Still impressed? You're dumbfounded.
1: I am dumbfounded.
0: <laughs> well, this was a fun one, buddy. It is it's such a good episode, I think, and you know, so early in the show to have such a great episode like this. And as Bob mentioned, it really the show kind of turns a corner introducing humor into the show.
1: And technically challenging. Now, obviously, yeah. Dead in the Water had the water element and kids, but here you've got cinematic challenges like creating three plane crashes, one visual effects, two practical in a show. That has a eight day shoot and a limited yeah. you know budget and they just did a fantastic job and again this is before visual effects were as dialed in as they are now so a lot of these are in camera effects it's really really fascinating to hear about
0: yeah we you know we mentioned that before that normally on this show it takes eight days to shoot an episode so anything more than that it's a lot to pack in in eight days it is all right well thanks for joining us we'll uh, see you at the next one. This episode stars Jared Padalecki as Sam Winchester, Jensen Ackles as Dean Winchester, Jamie Ray Newman as Amanda Walker,
1: Brian Markinson as Jerry Panowski, Brickett Turton as Max Jaffe, Daryl Shuttleworth as Chuck
0: Lambert. The episode also features Paul Jarrett, Fred Henderson, Jeff Gustafson, Amanda Wood,
1: Kelly Ruth Mercier, Dana Pemberton, Benjamin Ayers, Christopher Rosamond, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan as John Winchester. Voice only. And... Quick apology to anybody's name we mangled in that uh,
0: list. Yes. Phantom Traveler was written by Richard Haydum. It was
1: directed by Robert Singer and edited by Paul Karsik,
0: With music by Christopher Lennertz and Jay Gruska. And featured songs by Black Sabbath, Rush, and Metallica.
1: As covered by Jensen Ackles. As covered by
0: Jensen Knackles. And Blue Saracano.
1: With songs on streaming by Powerman 5000 and Stiff Kittens.
0: It was executive produced by Eric Kripke and Robert Singer.
1: Phantom Traveler first aired on October 4th, 2005.
0: The episode of Supernatural Then and Now was hosted and executive produced by Richard Spade Jr. and Rob Benedict.
1: Produced by Stephen Hine, written by Jessica Mason, and edited and associate produced by Trey Booty. With audio engineering by Caitlin Holly.
0: Music provided by Tim Wynn.
1: The episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios.
0: For the latest news on this and other podcasts, follow Story Mill Media on Instagram or Twitter.
1: And remember to subscribe to Supernatural then and now.
3: <laughs> Five in the can, boy. Yay!
0: Is that what it is? Five total?
3: Can we hold on for a second? I got a blower outside that I think you're going to pick up on.
0: That almost sounds like a crowd outside his house. <sighs> <They're> like rioters.
2: <laughs> That's it.
1: Stop the interview.
2: And uh, so the interview lasted for about, if I remember correctly, about a good two hours. And
4: uh... I'm
1: glad that didn't just happen to us.
4: Storymill Media.